Hello, everyone. Welcome to the first, the very first On the Road with Cadence. I'm Matt Bersky, Managing Partner of Cadence Capital Partners. And uh, our guest today is Corey Older from River City Capital Partners in beautiful Austin, Texas. Um, we worked with Corey on their project, uh, which closed late last year, but it had a lot of twists and turns. And we felt that it would be a great story to share with uh, the commercial real estate world, especially the fact that it's in an opportunity zone. So Cadence Capital Partners were a, a capital markets advisory firm that has both a, a debt and equity platform, but we really specialize on the equity side of the capital stack. And in particular, one of the emerging asset classes, which it seems like an asset class these days, is our opportunity zone projects. And so Corey... Corey is a great project near the um, or the uh, near the Tesla new Tesla plant down in Austin, and so Corey, why don't you introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, River City Capital? Yeah, thank you uh, for having me on today. Uh, excited to uh, talk with you as always. Uh, River City Capital Partners is uh, we're a pretty young firm. We're really only about four or five years old, started by a business partner and myself. His name's Peter Cayley and uh, actually started off doing urban infill projects and then uh, transitioned to various uh, commercial projects. And now uh, we're really long-term or product agnostic, but in the short term right now, we're pretty focused on uh, land, various land plays and, and multifamily is, uh, is our main focus at the moment. Austin is a booming town with uh, lots of population growth and um, in very high need for, for housing. And so that's really where we're focusing our efforts. We like to do pretty large projects. Um, everything we're doing right now is 300 unit plus, and that's uh, where we intend to, to keep focusing. And um, yeah, we like to be next, like everyone, I guess, uh, like to be next to major employers when, when we can. And so uh, our, our current projects in the pipeline are all kind of very close to corporate campuses like like Tesla. And uh, we have another one in North Austin next to Samsung. And um, uh, we're also next to Oracle um, on East Riverside. And yeah, that's a, a little bit about us. No, that's great, Corey. And it's been uh, it's been some time now. We were, we were just talking the other day about when we first started out, it was, I think, October of 2019, um, uh, where this project came about, where we, you and I started talking. Um, and so, you know, maybe, maybe it would be helpful to talk about the, the overall life of this project of how to, how it came from, you know, way back when the, the COVID impact, which was an interesting story that we were able to work together on to get through to the, to the final close and eventual groundbreak here recently. So uh, why don't you talk a little bit about when we first engaged back in what, September, October of 2019 and, and, and the twists and turns? Yeah, um, yeah, I'd lo love to. It's it's funny that development always takes longer than you think. And uh, it's uh, even since prior to us meeting, it had some twists and turns and, uh, and we definitely have had some excitement um, since then. So, well, I guess backing up a little further, we bought the land basically, uh, I guess it was beginning of 2017. It's in the East Riverside Corridor in Austin. Um, it's just a, a growing, growing area. At the time, it was uh, right next to um, an Oracle campus, that cloud computing campus that had been announced. 
And while we were going through the permit process, it um, the opportunity zone legislation passed. And my background is actually accounting and finance. So I gravitated towards those rules and learning about that pretty quickly. We were um, right on the border. I mean, if we were one parcel over, we, we uh, one side over, we wouldn't have been in the opportunity zone. So we were just barely within. And so that was maybe the, you know, the first twist of, you know, we had planned to just do a mixed use merchant development. Uh, it was originally planned for 381 apartments, 110,000 square feet of office and about 20,000 of retail and had intended to just kind of traditionally capitalize and, you know, stabilize and then sell the project. But with the opportunity zone element, uh, we thought that was pretty exciting. We were having um, a lot of different parties show interest on the capital side because of its um, location in an opportunity zone. So we started to go down that road while we were finishing up permits. And at kind of the early days of opportunity zones, there was a lot of there's a lot of groups that thought that they could do it, um, thought they understood it, but the rules hadn't quite unfolded. And um, you know, ca- you know, getting capital together uh, was much slower than I think most groups thought it was going to be. And so when uh, we came across Cadence, we had kind of a, an initial capital partner who wasn't able to um, to complete, you know. Uh, to complete their obligations and, and, and fund the project just because there's, you know, for not, not really any fault of their own, it just had to do with the timing of things and the opportunity zone uh, timing of the legislation that was unfolding. And so we were kind of out looking for new capital, but we were pretty resistant to partner with a group like Cadence or, or anyone because I had gone to all the Opportunity Zone conferences. I felt like I was really at the front end of this. I come from a financial and accounting background and really felt like I knew all the players. Um, And it just seemed, you know, why would we go pay a fee to someone to introduce them, you know, get introduced to groups we already know? And um, yeah, we, uh, so we kind of started talking with Cadence, but was, you know, somewhat reluctant. And, you know, as, you know, kind of, things unfolded, we realized that we really needed to expand our capital in our market. We couldn't just go to these major funds, but there are a handful of them. We really wanted to get tied into various family offices and, and groups that were not on our radar. And so, yeah, that's, uh, we, we, um, uh, engaged with, with cadence and started to, um, uh, you know, look for, uh, capital together, and then kind of right in there. I'm skipping over some twists and turns. Uh, COVID happened, and we had initially, you know, alongside Cadence, capitalized the deal as a mixed use project. And with COVID, everyone got pretty nervous about the um, office and in, in retail aspect of our project. And in hindsight, it's kind of funny. Um, Austin's had. Um, a lot of growth during the pandemic, which is kind of funny to, to think. And um, I think the city is generally very bullish on office and retail at the moment. But at that time, we didn't really know what we were facing. And so we decided to um, pivot and uh, change the project to a phased multifamily only. Um, really, the capital markets were much less interested in that office and retail. 
And uh, yeah, started to work with Cadence uh, again to essentially recapitalize the project a second time. And um, yeah, that, I'm, I'm, I'm rambling a bit, but that, well, uh, that's kind of, uh, you know, how we met. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and I think, partner. you know, when we first went out, I mean, it was, it was pretty much baked and you had a co-developer who unfortunately as, as you know, literally as close to the finish line as possible uh, what the executive team ended up coming down with COVID. This was, <laughs> yeah. this was what last like January, fe- no February. Yeah. And end, of, end of February. Yeah. There we had locked down a, uh, a co-developer slash capital partner. They were bringing the capital to the table and uh, actually met met up with them to kind of celebrate uh, uh, the deal. We were just kind of dotting I's and crossing T's. And um, uh, in that process, their executive team, uh, most of them uh, got COVID. We didn't even know what we were dealing with. And then that took them out of commission for a while. And then when they resurfaced, understandably, they said, uh, we're not so sure we want to go forward at the moment. We don't, it feels like the world's falling apart. And so, yeah, we were all of a sudden after uh, quite a long time um, starting over with uh, a project that was no longer had any capital behind it. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, I remember I remember those dark days. It's it's easy for us to say it in jest now. But uh, but, you know, we huddled up. We we started we went back out to to groups that had shown interest that maybe weren't quite there for timing or what have you. Um, we went back out to the to the market, and, and that's when we got pretty quick feedback, consistent feedback that Spec Office at the time wasn't going to be uh, wasn't going to be enough to get it done. And so I think you were working in concert along the side with the concept of of reprogramming into a much better situation for the time, right? And I think hindsight's of course twenty twenty, but uh, we, we think, and you, I would think you would agree. I think this ended up being a better execution, um, than the original mix. So, um, would you agree with that? Yeah, I would. And it's, um, I, I, I would agree. It's, it's funny when you say that as just, you know, it's, I guess it's just being an entrepreneur. I think a lot of people could relate to this. I mean, part of what it takes to succeed and, and grow a business is just kind of an endless persistence. Um, and lots of times getting rejected and just keep going, keep going and just, and, and find, find the way. And so there at that moment, there was a temptation to just keep going and just going, all right, we plan this as a mixed use project. The, you know, uh, the, the capital sources we know are not really, um, keen on that, given the context, we just need to talk to more capital. We're just not being persistent enough. And there's a temptation to go that direction. It's like, okay, we're just going to keep pushing. But somewhere in there, and I'm glad we did, we said, no, uh, the, the problem here is not persistence. Um, we This is really a pretty crazy climate and we need to actually pivot. And uh, I'm glad we did. Um, you know, I, I think the project would have been successful either way. But um, it, the, the situation really, it was the right time to pivot. And when we did, it was, um, it was clear that, um, you know, we had a lot of interest. We went from, you know, kind of begging for, for capital to, I don't know how many, kind of lost track of how many term sheets we got. Um, we had, yeah, we had, you know, 
we definitely got, you know, when we went back out with the original programming, everyone's like, mm, yeah, yeah, I don't know. So to, you know, we had that structure with the affordable housing and uh, we had three term sheets. And then I would say another two or three uh, that would have gotten there, but we're a little bit farther behind. So we yeah. didn't want to exercise anyone in vain. So we told them pencils down and, um, you know, right around August, I think, was it that we uh, picked a horse um, family office out of Boston uh, that has been, uh, and, and you can add some color to this, they've been a, a great partner, correct? Yeah, they've been really great. They, um, they're they pretty unique. And the project was large enough that it was getting interest from the large institutional players. Um, you know, you, you can guess some of the names. And uh, which was great. We, they're, they're all great firms. And um, we would have been just fine to do a project with them. But um, we, we were interested in, um, you know, uh, potentially a really long term term hold. Uh, we really believe in this corridor and we don't mind holding an asset for an indefinite period of time and these larger funds, they, you know, they need a prescriptive kind of planned exit. And so that was one of the really unique things about this particular family office and this project is it's um, they're, they're up for that too. They're, they're, they're long-term holders. And uh, it was a great partner for us because we got institutional level um, investment uh, as far as size but kind of the flexibility and long-term mind, mindset that you might have with an individual investor. So it was a really unique find and a group we would have never found. You know, this wasn't the group, this isn't a group that go, shows up at Opportunity Zone, you know, conventions or, or capital conventions. They're, they're, they're not on, um, you know, they, they weren't on our radar. And so it was a pretty great find on, on Cadence, Cadence Park. Yeah, I think I... Uh, and he can attest to this. I think I chased him for about a year of with 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 all rejections until yeah. that last time, and I sent it over. And he's like, "Yeah, let's get on a Zoom call." And we had that first thirty minute Zoom call. And at the end, after I um, framed the opportunity, he's like, "Hmm, actually, this this is actually interesting." I'm like, "Yeah, I, I told you." And I think from there, it it accelerated. They were all gas pedal from there, and. Um, you know, I think that's another part, you know, one of the things that we find when I talk to new new developers across the country, they love hearing the stories, right? They love hearing the behind the scenes. I'm not saying debt's easy, but it's easier. It's more commoditized when it comes yeah. to, to raising capital on the equity side of the capital stack. It's, it's a little bit more challenging because um, it's not commoditized. And so they love to hear the war stories on an instant, a true institutional raise in particular with family offices. And I think to your point earlier, you know, of course, economics matter. They absolutely do. And in, in when we were in a, analyzing the, the three different options, you know, we didn't necessarily just go with them. I mean, I, I actually, I don't think their economics were as favorable as um, they weren't number one in economics, but when you looked at the, the, the whole board and the whole picture, uh, a lot of the, the the attributes that you were looking for just lined up so poetically that that it just 
it almost decided itself. Um, yeah. And I think that's an important part of a process. And it's something that we are thoughtful about when we go out is that, you know, let's look at the whole board, not just the economics and see how the partnership comes up. And especially when it comes to opportunity zone, because you can't exit before 10 years um, for the most part, right? I mean, if you want to maximize the overall part program, you know, you're in it for 10 years and, and, and that's truly creating marriages and, and relationships, not just, uh, you know, three years turn and burn. Um, and, then, and that's an important piece that sometimes gets lost in the shuffle and, and you never want it to be a hindsight scenario where it's like, ah, that was probably a red flag. We probably shouldn't have maybe JV'd with, with this particular capital group. Yeah. A hundred percent agree. Um, with the opportunity zones for the most part, um, you know, the capital wants to be in for 10 years. There are options for developers to exit um, early sometimes, but for the most part, they're 10 year or longer deals. And um, I don't know how long the average marriage is in the US, but that's like probably right there, right? <laughs> um, it's a pretty long- yeah, maybe longer. Yeah, maybe longer. And so that's a pretty long partnership. Um, and yeah, our, our selection process was um, definitely not just about the economics. The economics for all the term sheets we received were all, honestly pretty pretty close. I mean, little little differences here here and there. Um, I think they all have kind of um, at least in the opportunity zone space. You know, a lot of groups have um, come to the same same general terms. Um, so then it it really becomes to who's, who's going to be the best partner for you this for this project and. Yeah, for, for this one, we, we thought, given our interest in holding for a long time, uh, maybe even beyond the 10 years, um, you know, this type of family office, or really like a multifamily office, um, that, that they were the, the right partner. And they've been great. Um, they've been everything that they promised um, to be so far. And yeah, already talking to them about, about more projects. That's, that's a great find. That's great. Um, you know, I think moving forward, would you, what kind of advice would you give uh, other developers out there, whether it be opportunity zone or not? I think, you know, one of the things that we find is that historically a lot of developers have, um, you know, raised capital on the equity side uh, by passing the hat, syndicating it out to a, a family and friend network. And, you know, it's obviously an effective way uh, to raise capital, maybe the underwriting isn't as scrutinized as it is from an institutional standpoint. You know, I think so. A lot of times when we we score the deal to evaluate the deal, you know, we're we're looking for that, right? Is this underwrite underwritten for an institutional process or is it underwritten for a syndicated process? And we try to do a lot of coaching on the front end to make sure that it's. Um, it's going to be institutionally bulletproof, so to speak, as much as you can when you go out. Um, you know, and I think that's that's one of the important factors that, especially lately, post-COVID maybe, maybe I've just paid attention to it more. Um, but what other types of advice would you give developers out there that are, uh, you know, really trying to expand their, their capital relationships, specifically with family offices? I think um, that's something I know is, is highly sought after. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're going in a great direction. I mean, I think some of, you know, um, I don't know if it's advice, but it's kind of what I've learned in, in, in my thought process. It's not about whether the deal will work or not. I mean, 
I, I think I used to start there. Will, will this deal be successful? And yeah, yes, it has to, you know, it has to check that box, but that's not enough. It, it needs to both, Hey, this deal is going to work and it's going to meet the current. And that's an important point. The current <laughs> criteria of, of the capital out there in the debt markets. Um, if you've got all the evidence that a deal is going to be successful, but you can't sell it and it doesn't match the criteria of your, of the capital out there, then, you know, it's kind of, you're just kind of wasting your time. And, um, you know, I think that's what led us to our pivot. We, but we still, even in the midst of the pandemic, you know, we were thinking through the timeline and of how long it was take to construct the project and what was happening in Austin. And we felt like, Hey, keeping this as mixed use will still work and it's going to be really successful. That's not enough. Um, you got to go to the next level and um, kind of maybe start with the end in mind of, Hey, what are, you know, what exactly is the capital looking and it's ever changing. And, you know, we're, we're seeing just in this last few months, um, you know, what, what investors are looking for in their criteria um, changing. And so we have to be constantly modifying our underwriting to make sure we're lined up, um, you know, doing a deal that you believe in, but isn't capitalizable. Um, that's a word. <laughs> uh you know, I, I, if, if it if it isn't, it should be a. You just made it a word. <laughs> yeah, there that's you great. go. Um, so I think that's um, some of you know advice to myself or or, or our thought process is we, we gotta you gotta be really thinking about um, that that aspect of it. Um, and yeah, I you know it's not you know it, life is a lot easier. And I mean, I think you kind of hit that with just. We went from hoping for capital to um, deciding which capital we want. We want because we we redesigned the project to fit their needs um, rather than our own. So I think that's you know that's part of my advice is um, you know listen listen to your trusted advisor and, I, and um, I'm not just saying this because it's your podcast, but you guys were a big part of that. I mean you weren't you were more than just a, a broker, and I tell you this all the time. You guys were really our our partner slash therapist going. Hey guys, this uh, this is what we're this is what we're hearing. Um, we need to. This requires a pivot, and um, which I thought was really cool. Like I think a, a lot of groups at that point, especially in the capital markets group, um, you know, they're not going to spend that time. There's like, okay, on to the next deal. Let me rather than spend my time uh, with these guys trying to wait for them to pivot. Why don't I just go find another deal that's immediately. Uh, to use my word again, capitalizable. And uh, you guys didn't do that. I mean, not to say y'all didn't keep your business running. I'm sure we're actively looking for projects, but you really stuck by our side and uh, helped us work the numbers and helped us get it to a point where um, it could be capitalized very quickly. And so it was great. Well, thank you. And I think, you know, one of the things that we utilize that is now at the the center of everything that we do is, you know, we partnered with the University of Michigan Business School um, i.e. the greatest business school in the world, uh, to help us build out a model to assess the probability of deals getting financed. And um, I won't bore the audience with all the details around it, but essentially it's on the front end, assessing a deal, looking through the lens of capital. And you know the advantage that we have as an organization, because we have uh, a variety of different equity raises going on at any given moment, 
we have a really good pulse on the evolving needs uh, and what makes a deal attractive to an institutional level investor, you know, specifically family offices. And I think that is, especially now more than ever, is something that we we huddle up on internally and 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 you know as we evaluate deals we have a pretty good um pulse on its ability to get it equitized and you know a lot of times when we share that with with sponsors they they may or may not like it at first uh but they usually come around to it because well first they want to hear their score they want to know what their score was um but you know as we go through the continuum in the process you know the objections that we anticipate are 98% of the time they're always brought up and we're all ready for it and it, it really allows us to to start with the right foot moving forward um and not just be caught off guard by you know what capital is going to say and i think that's that's been critical i know it was critical throughout um you know we scored the deal a couple times first as the mix and then the second as uh you know as the reprogram with the affordable housing component and it scored through the roof um, the second time around, and you know that that score proved out in real life because of all the term sheets and the and the interest associated with it. To where, but I, you know, we I still have a family office wanting to figure out a way to get into that deal. I'm like, there's no, it's over. We 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 can't get into that deal anymore. Corey's not going to magically uh, make room. Um, so. You know, I know that in the beginning, maybe you didn't like to hear some of the radical candor that that we shared on the projects, but uh, but I would think that you would you would at least now agree that it was helpful to start that way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I would I guess that's other advice. Um, even if you're um, not partnered with Cadence, if you are using um, a debt broker or a capital broker, you want someone that is that is selective. Um, you know, Cadence has accomplished that through the scoring process, which, you know, I, at first I thought it was just kind of like a sales tactic, but it really proved pretty accurate. Like those scores were pretty much uh, the higher the score was definitely directly correlated with our capital interest. But the, the bigger picture of why you want that someone that's selective is I mean one direct feedback on your project so you can you can position the deal on the place that'll be most attractive. But also when you get to the point where you're on the phone and you're meeting with these capital groups, the tone is different, I believe, because I you know they, they know uh, okay I'm I'm on with with Cadence or another group that you know is is selective. Uh, this isn't going to be a crap deal. Like this is gonna this is going to be a good deal. Like they don't they they're going they're opening that conversation. Um, in a really good good way, they they've already built a reputation of presenting really strong deals, and I think that uh, that's good. You know, so I, I think it's important. Um, while I recommend everyone use Cadence, even if you don't, you want someone that's highly selective. If you if you call someone and they're real, you know, uh, ready to engage with you right away, like that's a red flag for me. I'm like, okay, well, that means you just take on any client, and uh, that's concerning. Yeah, no, I agree, and and I don't know. You know, I think sometimes, especially in the equity side, um, capital markets advisory firms sometimes have a, a a bad reputation. I mean, we feel like we we have to overcome almost like PTSD from from processes of the past um, where they don't get much interest at all. And I think from from our standpoint, you know, 
we are very thoughtful and, and our superpower has been saying no, because it goes back to, to your point about capital and their, the tone of the calls, because it's the trust factor. And they say that all the time that they're getting inundated with deals. I mean, you know, the family office that we spoke about, he's probably looking at, I don't know, 60 to 70 deals a month. And I always ask, you know, how do you know which ones to focus on? And they always say to, to a person, depends on who sends it. And yeah, so, yeah. you know, we're very, as, as a group, we're very uh, cautious about what we take on because, you know, that's our reputation when we hit send. If it shows up in their inbox and, you know, it's, it's way off the reservation, groups are going to start to think what's going on there, right? So um, I think as we've matured and through that maturation process, we've realized that that's the name of the game. And, you know, a, a no today leads to a yes tomorrow, you know? Yep. I also think, and you all are, are really, really great at this. It's not just about, um, <laughs> it's maybe the least amount about that initial call, but it's all the play-by-play -play that happens after that and really strategically positioning yourself where, um, you know, it's, it's keeping the conversation going and, you know, leading to a closing. Cause I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot easier to get capital excited than it is to actually close and, and finalize. And so just, you know, having a, a partner that's in it for the long haul and really helping you think through strategically on how to get to the finish line is, is really important. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we, we left a lot of pride at the door. When we, I mean, it was a very strategic process. I mean, even to get this deal done where a lot of strategies slash therapy sessions between you and I figuring out, you know, how do we move and create urgency with this group versus that group? And, um, you know, it's tough to showcase that when you're, when you're talking to new groups, you almost have to go through it and get that thousand yard stare to really truly understand it and feel like, you know, running a true institutional process and hopefully with the goal of creating programmatic relationships like like this family office is is for you now. Um, you know, it's it's very strategic. It's not a, you know, hit send and the money just starts falling from the sky, you know. Yep. I and I really liked you guys were really the first time we had worked with um, you know, a capital advisory group. And one thing that I think I didn't appreciate going into, but I really do now is just um, the positioning. And what I mean by that is there's times in a negotiation where, you know, me as sponsor, if I'm doing certain things, it may come across, for instance, as eager, like or overly eager or desperate. But, uh, you know, if, if you have a, you know, your, your capital advisory group, doing a little prodding, it doesn't come across that way. You can, you can position better. And so I felt like it, in, and vice versa too, there was times where you said, okay, Corey, time, time for you all to grab the ball. We're going to back off. Like this needs to be, you, we want to get their analyst and your analyst talking together. Like that's where that's that stage. And, um, knowing, you know, who should be really handling the ball at each moment, um, is really important. And it's, uh, especially if it's a new relationship and, you know, that's less necessary now that, you know, on, with this group that we're working with on the next deal, because we know each other, but on that, we you know, when you're getting to know someone and getting to know a group, um, that, that stuff's really important. Well said, well said. Well, 
I think uh, I think that that's that's a good wrap. Um, you know, I always like to keep podcasts to as close to thirty minutes as possible. You know, I think moving forward, we want to be thoughtful and really share um, stories from the road, um, not only in, on equity raise processes, but uh, you know, we'll we as a firm will try to share some of the insights and in, in, in what capital is looking for, certain markets that. Um, that we visit, uh, you know, we'd like to share some information about that because, you know, it's evolving. You know, we talk to capital groups daily um, and the markets that they want to be in seems to shift. Um, and especially these days when, you know, throughout COVID, there were markets that were in favor before that aren't as in favor now. Um, so our goal with with this type of communication, whether it be a podcast or, you know, um, posts via our website and LinkedIn is just share some of the insights that we're able to be because we're at the intersection of of deals getting done um, in the marketplace, both non-opportunity zone as well as uh, opportunity zone, which um, is something we as a firm really, really like. So that's, that's, uh, that's a wrap, Corey. I think I appreciate it. And you know, the only uh, the only thing I don't like about uh, our deal getting done is that you and I don't talk every single day anymore. Yeah, I do. I do miss those conversations. But glad glad we got to spend some time today catching up. And uh, uh, yeah, enjoyed it. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Corey. Have a great day and good luck on uh, on that great project. Great, thank you. Take care.